Hi, I'm Dr. Scott. And I'm Dr. Shiloh. And this is LA Not So Confidential, the forensic psychology and true crime podcast. Each week, we explore the intersection of psychology, the criminal justice system, and entertainment. Today, our episode is on the vintage case of the mysterious death of actress Thelma Todd. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be meeting with you again as we are saying goodbye to summer, thankfully, here in Southern California. <gasps> thankfully, how dare you? I know. You're just like a lizard. You're like a lizard person. No, I love it. And then we have two weekends like this where we've had weird, like monsoonal rain where it feels like you're in Hawaii. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. This is nice. <laughs> Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, good to be back, everybody. Well, before we get into our episode for today, let's talk about last week real quick. And in that episode, we explored yet another delusional disorder known as delusional parasitosis. And in this terrifying disorder, individuals believe they are infested with parasites such as mites, fleas, lice, worms, or other unidentified organisms, despite no concrete evidence supporting this notion. There is controversy surrounding this condition, and we explore all of it and cover a criminal case linked to the disorder, as well as a film's depiction and a celebrity's journey with the condition. And you guys have had quite the reactions to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't listened yet, be ready to feel a little squeegee, itchy, squirmy. Yep. Just from the descriptions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving on to our vintage episode today. I know we really haven't focused in our 150 plus episodes. We haven't focused on a lot of celebrities in these vintage episodes. But today we're highlighting a true film star that solidified the success of the movie industry shift from the silent film era to the golden age of talkies, actress Thelma Todd. And just to give you our, you know, regular trigger warning, we do talk about death and the mention of suicide and murder and controversy around victim blaming to an extent. Mm, yeah. yeah. Good catch there. So Thelma Todd was born on July 6th in 1906 in Lawrence, Massachusetts, to an Irish father and Canadian mother. She was seen as a well-tempered child with big hopes and dreams. She graduated high school in 1923 and desired to become a school teacher. She attended the Lowell Normal School, now known as UMass Lowell, to study teaching. But her mother, always putting her beauty first, signed her up for a number of beauty pageants during this time. In 1925, Thelma was crowned Miss Lawrence and Miss Massachusetts. And as a result, she was recommended for the Paramount School for Junior Stars, which was an organization at Paramount Studios that essentially trained photogenic young adults into personalities ready for the next wave of movie stardom here in Hollywood. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that we haven't talked about much mm -hmm. is that the studio system could make a star out of almost anyone. And when they got someone that was exceptionally talented, even better. Yeah. But if you were marginally talented, but had the right look, they basically, you were in boot camp and it was singing lessons, elocution lessons, dance lessons, and not just you know, run of the mill stuff. They were making celebrities like Peter Lawford and Cary Grant, you know, back even just a few decades later, they were training them to do all this stuff. So fascinating things that actually later on became problematic because that system was a bit abusive. So back to the 
subject of today's episode, Thelma Todd. After she relocated to Los Angeles to take advantage of the Hollywood training system, movie producer Hal Roach, the brains behind Laurel and Hardy, signed her to a contract in which she was initially featured as the straight girl to their slapstick shenanigans. Eventually, Thelma then did a number of films as one half of a female comedic duo, which was really a first for that era. That was a big, big development in entertainment at that time. And between 1931 and 1933, Thelma and Zazu Pitts appeared in over a dozen films together. Very funny. Zazu Pitts is a, a comic legend in her own right. And after her contract with Pitts expired, she played opposite the wisecracking Patsy Kelly for a series of successful shorts until 1935. And over the course of her acting career, she earned the nicknames Hot Toddy and the Ice Cream Blonde. And she'd been featured in over 120 films. She was known to be quite authentic and never a diva. So for that story to come so far forward in mm -hmm. time, that's pretty amazing. She was outspoken, though, about the casting couch, and she managed to navigate a successful career without caving to such methods for her roles. That's also another really big deal because the casting couch, as we know, has persisted way into today's world yeah. along the lines of Harvey Weinstein and countless other individuals who use power to manipulate actors. And she uh, was actually outspoken about it at the time, yeah. which is such a cool part of her personality. Uh, yeah, it's it, that's kind of amazing. And it speaks to the amount of star power that she had, that she could get away with that. Rightfully so. She did date quite a bit, but she also enjoyed many platonic relationships with male and female friends. And in 1932, she married Pascal Pat DeSico after meeting in L.A., although he was from the East Coast. He was the son of a well-to-do broccoli farmer, but also dabbled in movie production and claimed to have connections to organized crime, which I guess is something that East Coasters did at the time to garner some attention. <laughs> hey, I got some mob connections. <laughs> So she ended up filing for divorce just two years later, citing Pat's quote unquote surly presence, likely what we now take to mean some sort of form of intimate partner violence or emotional abuse. And just a weird side note, he was also the abusive first husband of Gloria Vanderbilt. Yeah, very interesting connection there with more of a clear record of abuse in that yes. particular relationship. So after Thelma's divorce from Pat, she began a close relationship with a married film director by the name of Roland West. And Roland was married to a woman named Jewel Carmen and was reportedly very conflicted with his attraction and emotional intimacy with Thelma as he maintained that he truly still loved Jewel as well. When he and Thelma began working together, it solidified a fairly well-known affair. And it was around this time that Thelma started going by different stage names, Alison Lloyd for the talkies and her shift to more dramatic roles. It might seem odd to leave her previous star power reputation behind, but actually this is, and this is not talked about enough really, but few actors were really able to successfully transition from the silent films to the talkies. And this strategy seemed to work for Thelma. Roland put her in the starring role of a film called Corsair, in which she played a bratty rich girl that highlighted her lightness and her charm, but it left the full on sort of slapstick comedic antics behind. Very interesting movie as well about this fictionalized version of a story like this about a diva who'd never transitioned 
the talkies is Sunset Boulevard. If mm -hmm. you haven't had a chance to watch this classic Hollywood film, please, please take a gander. Maybe we should watch it sometime since it involves a murder as well. Yeah, that'd be a great watch party to do. So aside from the normal Hollywood elite social life, Thelma loved to host and actually make home-cooked meals for her friends. Around the time that she filed for divorce from Pat, she started seriously thinking about her future and what life would be like after Hollywood. Although she's only in her late 20s at this time, but I mean, very forward thinking of, okay, when is my time going to be up here? So she purchased a building right on Pacific Coast Highway in what is now Pacific Palisades and opened a restaurant called Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. Roland was her business partner in the restaurant and the club. There was a club upstairs and they both took up residence in a building up the hill from the restaurant that consisted of individual apartments. He was technically still married to Jewel and Jewel had a resident apartment up there as well. So this is a interesting dynamic with these relationships going on, whether or not it's sort of this open marriage, but also business partnership. But this is kind of setting the scene for Thelma's untimely death later on. Having lived through studio contracts that dictated her weight and other such details of her life, Thelma saw the restaurant as a way to continue making a living after her Hollywood career came to an end. And the restaurant was a hit with the movie Elite. It was no quote-unquote cafe. It was a formal upscale restaurant with a European-trained chef. And like I said before, it had a club on the upper level where special events could be held, where people could just kind of have their own little parties with their cocktails. It's also a really iconic LA location on Pacific Coast Highway, just across from the ocean. Pacific Coast Highway in that section now is an absolute terror Zoo. of a gauntlet. <laughs> it's awful. Like there are people that live, have these beautiful homes right on the beach, but Pacific Coast Highway is just, it's like when people drive on that section of the freeway, they become insane. Yep. They're going 90 miles an hour. I mean, wrecks happen all the time. People get killed all the time. And here's this really cool, like, icon of architecture and Hollywood history right there. And unfortunately, nobody's really been able to do anything successful with the building yeah. because there is no parking. It's like literally like there's a sidewalk and the highway. You know, so it's yeah. this beautiful building that's like inaccessible. Yeah, it's too big. You, it, If you filled it, you couldn't have parking for any of the patrons and plus you yeah. have the ocean you know you're basically staring at this gorgeous glistening ocean the whole time you should be driving and have your eyes yeah. on the road Exactly. So Thelma had said the following about how she wanted the restaurant to feel. I've heard so much about the choice foods of these days preceding prohibition when eating was still a fine art. Always I read with great interest about the bon vivants of the gay 90s when people dined with pomp and ceremony before they became addicted to grabbing a sandwich, a slab of pie and calling it a meal. So clearly she wanted to create an elegant space for her friends and the public to dine. Yes. So Thelma's life as a star and a business owner wasn't without some scary scenarios and drama. It was reported that after opening the restaurant, Thelma started getting threatening letters, threatening to, quote, wreck that Santa Monica cafe of yours, and that, quote, our San Francisco boys will lay you out. She received eight letters in total, and the writer even tried to extort $10,000 out of her. Eventually, the bulk of the letters were traced back to a man named Harry Shemansky of Long Island, who was arrested by the feds in 1935. Interestingly, there was a second man arrested for the plot to extort Thelma. 
Edward Schiffert admitted to writing letters and clearly exhibited what we would describe or even diagnose as erotomania. He reported that he fell in love with Thelma after seeing her on the big screen and believed that they were, quote, meant to be together, unquote. His parents stated that he was so mentally unwell that there was no way he could have been involved in the extortion plot. Eventually, a judge ruled him insane and he was committed to an asylum. Very interesting development there. <clears throat> You've got family collateral information saying he's got a lot of problems. But again, this is one of those things that happens in working with people who have these various forms of delusion. They end up muddying the waters many times for law enforcement. It's been historical that people confess to crimes that they had no exactly. involvement in. Yeah. And lastly, there was a report from her attorney that local thugs approached Thelma because of the success of her eatery, and they wanted to take over a portion of the cafe for gambling. After her death, friends came forward stating that Thelma had told these criminals that they would only get a piece of her restaurant over her dead body. One of the more fanciful rumors that followed this likely red herring was that gangster Lucky Luciano was involved in the gambling venture. However, there's no evidence they ever met, nor that he was ever involved in these unsubstantiated allegations. Some have also linked her ex-husband Pat to the mobster, but again, seems like swirling rumors for the time. If you go back and you do research on this case, you will hear stories of like, oh, she was dating Lucky Luciano. There is yeah. nothing, nothing to these rumors that has ever been solidified. On the night of Saturday, December 14th, 1935, Thelma attended a party at the Cafe Trocadero that was hosted by Stanley Lupino and his 17-year-old daughter, Ida Lupino. Trocadero is still on Sunset Boulevard. It sits somewhere between the Chateau Marmont and the Comedy Store, which I know is a big stretch, but just for some big markers for people to right. kind of understand where this restaurant is. And Roland, her boyfriend, lover, kind of roommate, business partner, <laughs> who had been increasingly worried about Thelma's drinking habits, that night she went to the party, actually gave her a curfew, hoping she would return home at a reasonable time. And when she scoffed at his attempt to control her social behavior, he warned that he would not leave the apartments unlocked that night if she came home too late. And as she was getting into the chauffeured car with her mother that night at around 8 p.m., he told her to be home by 2 a.m. And she laughed in his face and said, I'll be home by 2.05. So it gives you a little idea of I just dynamic. also think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's also hilarious to think that like you're going out to like this huge party starting at 8 a.m. I mean, or sorry, you're starting at 8 p.m. with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so her mom, and I don't know if if I put this in our story today, but her mom actually gets dropped off elsewhere. So oh, the mom okay. doesn't so go to the like party. She's going out to party. Okay. Got she's it. like, let me go drop mom off first, and then I'm going to okay. go out to party. But yeah, mom was certainly part of her life here in California. Thelma partied into the early morning with her famous friends, all the while avoiding her ex-husband, Pat. Now, he happened to be in town and was reportedly invited to the party as well, but he stayed in a different part of the establishment rather than joining everyone for the formal dinner. Close to 3 a.m., Thelma joined Sid Grauman at his table and had someone phone Roland to let him know that she was on her way. Thelma was driven home by her chauffeur and she was dropped off at the cafe between 3.30 and 3.45 a.m. on Sunday morning. She declined to have him walk her up to her apartment, and this, unfortunately, was the last that anyone saw her alive. So yeah, so she goes to this party Saturday night. She is dropped off early Sunday morning, and that next Monday morning... Thelma's maid arrived to fulfill her normal weekday duty of moving Thelma's car from the apartment garage down to the cafe. She found Thelma in the front seat of her Lincoln Phaeton with the driver's door 
wide open. She was still in her shimmering mauve gown from Saturday night, slumped over in the car with some dried blood on her nose and mouth, but clearly deceased. The maid called the manager of the cafe and he in turn called the police and Dr. DJ Sampson, who was one of the first to arrive. After examining her body, Dr. Sampson noted that she had likely been dead for at least 12 hours. The LAPD detectives assigned to the case found that the ignition had been switched on with the car key and the car had idled until it ran out of gas. The blood on her face was later tested and it contained carbon monoxide, signifying that her injury occurred inside the garage. Many hypothesized that she had slumped forward, hitting her face on the steering wheel. Now, Frank Nance was the coroner on the case and he noted that Thelma's nose was fractured, her lip was split, but she had no other injuries to her body. Valuables, including cash, were still on her person or inside her purse. There was no sign of a struggle or a crime. The coroner quickly ruled that accidental carbon monoxide poisoning had killed Thelma, but there would be a formal inquest. Thelma was only 29 years old. And as the newspapers did in the 30s, they immediately started covering Thelma's death as something sinister. Headlines reading possible murder when there was... No such evidence of that at the time. And it was also reported that when her mother learned of the news, she exclaimed, my daughter's been murdered, citing that she was in good spirit Saturday night and had much to live for. Her mother, who had been dropped off somewhere else on the way to the party, also revealed that Thelma had recently learned that she had a heart ailment when applying for insurance. Roland also confirmed that she had been prone to fainting spells recently. So getting a little bit of information of maybe where her mindset was or wasn't, as well as uh, maybe some medical stuff going on. But the theories really cover every single possible option out there. And if you dig hard enough, there are people and narratives that will support every single one of these, but not much with a whole lot of weight here. So the first intentional suicide, right? We have her mom talking about actually she was you know, felt like she had a lot to live for. Some suggested that Thelma was actually in despair over recent poor performance of the restaurant and took her own life. But friends refuted that notion, describing her as lighthearted as ever, really, in recent days, weeks, and months. And this one seems pretty easy to rule out, but with suicide, there are those cases that no one suspects the psychological pain that the person is in, and it comes as a complete shock. I mean, we know that that happens and people are very good at keeping their suicidal ideation under wraps. Absolutely. But let's move on to one of the next theories. So, or the next section rather than self-harm would be murder. And of course, the last person to come in contact is always going to be, you know, the first and foremost that they get information from, whether it's collateral or they're totally. actually a suspect. Yeah. So the chauffeur. Police questioned her limo driver as he was the last person to see her alive, and they were suspicious of how fast he claimed that he had made it back to the cafe from the party. He told them that Thelma insisted he drive fast as she was frightened of people who might want to do her harm after the months of threats. He also expressed surprise that she had declined to have him walk her to her apartment. But after learning that Roland admitted to locking her out, the chauffeur figured that she wanted to avoid an argument with Roland in front of him. Yeah, a couple things going on there, like... The cops are like, mm, I don't know if the timeline, if you getting back to the cafe right. seems right. Right. And yeah. Some interesting stuff. But then we have the ex-husband, right? So as we mentioned, the abusive ex-husband, Pat, was right. in town and he had been invited to that same party at Cafe Trocadero. And Thelma had given the host total permission to invite him. She was like, yeah. And, and they actually put, you know, there was a signed seating and they had put him next to her because she was 
friendly enough with him, but there were rumors that she sought him out in the other part of the restaurant when he didn't join the dinner party and that some sort of argument had ensued. Rumors, rumors, rumors. Okay, so they continued looking and who's another murder suspect? Well, the guy who is the closest to her and is currently locking her out of her apartments. So certainly investigators had to look at Roland Thelma's other love interest. Not only had he been involved with her quite publicly while married to Jewel, he was also her business partner. And there were rumors that Jewel, technically also a business owner, though through marriage, he was upset with Thelma that the restaurant had lost some revenue recently. So Roland opened the restaurant for business only four days after her death, eventually changing the restaurant's name to Shea Roland. Hmm. Okay. As I said, we're going to come back and <laughs> go through these step by step, right? But Roland, when questioned about the curfew issue, he said that it was more of a joke, but then he had locked her out before. And he said that on one previous occasion, she knocked hard enough to almost break a window to be let in. When police asked Rolando why she had failed to awaken him this time, he replied that the actress was very considerate and independent. Hmm. Okay. I think we can't ignore throwing in here just the mob or the previous threats in general. Exactly. So these were some real threats made to Thelma that police investigated. They ended up making arrests on. So either by these so-called local thugs or perhaps mob adjacent individuals. But when it comes to just looking at murder in general, unless she was already asleep in the car and they turned it on to let the gas consume her, there just isn't evidence of someone else being there, nor a struggle of any kind, really, unless you include the injuries to like her face area. True. Then we move on from the theory of murder to the theory of accidental death. And the leading theory here is that it was an accidental death due to a number of potential factors. She arrived home late and she was minimally intoxicated. She either didn't attempt to wake Roland or she tried and she wasn't successful. So mid-December would here in Los Angeles in Southern California by the beach would have been fairly cool for a woman in a lightweight, gauzy cocktail dress there, you know, so close to the ocean. So she wrapped her fur coat around her and crawled into the car, then turning the car on to stay warm for a bit and then fell asleep. Again, that's one of the theories. So and then another point, good old LAPD criminalist Ray Pinker ran tests and determined that she could have been overcome with carbon monoxide poisoning within two minutes in that garage and that the car could have idled for up to 40 more minutes. Yeah. So do we want to talk about those before we go on to the coroner's inquest? Yeah, let's go back. Let's okay. like, let's pull a couple of those apart. So I intentional think it's, suicide. Let's start there. Well, you have a really good point that you can't physically poke around in someone's brain and know what's going on for them. It doesn't quite dovetail though with somebody that is minimally intoxicated and going out for this night on the town and she's already kind of prepared like she's given them permission already for him to sit by her so it, it seems to like sort of not be congruent i mean like it's this possible. is the night i'm gonna kill myself sort of there's not that planning to it right i mean like certainly there's there's no planning doesn't mean that there can't be a spontaneous the, sure. so something, some one thing or some set of triggers happened to her at that party, but it just doesn't really seem very likely. What do you think? Yeah, I, I didn't really find anything that led to this of whether or not we're talking about 
sort of her, I mean, she is what we know from the story all these years later, she's very future oriented in the sense of like making a life for herself after Hollywood Yeah, yeah. really seems to find pleasure in being a, a restaurant owner. You know, it's sort of, it's, it, she's a celebrity restaurant owner, right? So it has its own little piece of attention and high profileness to it. So she can kind of keep that part of her life, yeah. but do this thing where she loves like taking care of people and not that she's a chef, but, you know, helping design menus and. Um, right. And also kind of creating a, uh not necessarily a full on, but like a party atmosphere yeah. every night. Yeah. And it just also doesn't really jibe that like, unless the money, you know, it'd be interesting to do forensic accounting if there were those records still existed to see if any of these rumors about how much of the money mm-hmm. was not coming in was mm-hmm. the restaurant. Restaurants are hard and yeah. they go through cycles, you know, like some, they're up, they're down. That's just part of being in the restaurant business. So it'd be nice to have more information about that. Yeah. But I, moving I, on. I'm, okay. I'm sorry, just last, I just, I think we have to take collaterals from people around her, right? Like there are yeah. really people were not, if we were to go back and do a, a psychological autopsy, people would probably not have said that she was in the space to do that. Although again, the caveat, like I said before, we really just never know, Right. but yeah, this one doesn't jump out to me as something that is reasonable. Yeah, it it doesn't to me either. When it comes to the people that were suspects for murder, going back to the chauffeur, I I think it's really interesting that they were suspicious of how fast he claimed to make it from the party back to the cafe. And I find that odd because Mm -hmm. we're also talking about a time of the morning when there's going to be minimal traffic. And traffic then was nothing compared to what it is now. I mean, like, you you know, you can actually get through L.A. all the way to the beach from Hollywood. If, if you're at the right time of the day, you're there in less than 20 minutes. You get on the freeway and you're, you're there. And that's in today's world. Yeah, so yeah. even back then, I, that was just an interesting tactic that they were using. He says that she's frightened of people who might want to do her harm after months of threats. That threw me off a little bit. I had a weird reaction to that too. Why Why do you think you had the reaction to it? It sounds like excuse making. <laughs> it sounds like a convenient way to not only describe maybe the discrepancy of how long it would take you, you know, if the police are suspecting that it doesn't line up and that he would have needed extra time. Is he thinking like, oh God, let's say he is a suspect. It would have taken extra time to put her in the garage and stage this as a suicide or what have you. And he's trying to think of, things which it's not matching up because he's actually saying he got there faster right than than they did but it's another way to also deflect and go oh remember she had these threats and there and she was frightened of other people so it feels deflective yeah it also (laughs) you know she also seems like a very tough woman i mean she's very Mm -hmm. resilient Mm -hmm. very smart if you're that afraid of mob activities like are, are you, you going to be, out? you know, why are you going out? And have so them walk them to your apartment for God's sakes, if you're that afraid. Exactly. Very, very good point. If, if that's going to be the excuse. So yeah, that's a good perspective that maybe he was just kind of like nervous and felt like he had to come up with something. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's the impression I'm left with all of this. It's kind of messy. Again, you and I just have literal pieces from decades worth of repeat reporting of stuff, including rumors. So to me, this feels like just a mess of 
a guy that was probably super anxious to be interviewed and just probably kind of vomited at the mouth and, yeah, you know, all this was taken into consideration. Exactly. So the ex-husband, who's another suspect, Pat, he's there invited to the party and Thelma had given permission to invite him. So that, that tells a lot of the story, too. So it's like the hosts of the party know that there's a little bit of blood between them. Is this OK? We're going to check. And she gives the OK. Now, that in itself doesn't mean that she's automatically necessary comfortable with it but she's doing the appropriate thing to maintain face and maybe not exacerbate a situation possibly yeah Yeah. it is a weird like coincidence that he's in town and she dies presumably the next morning yeah that is strange i think that's all i can say about it though so then the other suspect is Roland. You know, this is seems to be like a complex relationship, mm-hmm. right? This is the one that really just look, people are people are weird and people process emotions very differently. So we can act out in very strange ways that don't necessarily dovetail with what society at large thinks that we should be having a particular reaction to or a series of reactions. But this is notable to me. If I'm looking at this behaviorally, it is notable that there is some kind of dynamic where he locks her out of the house. Uh So why is he locking her out of the house? Does she have such a drinking problem or he has a problem with her drinking or some aspect that they argue a lot? It sounds like a bit of a volatile relationship. So on one hand, he says, yes, she's she has pounded on the glass loud enough to wake up the dead but i didn't hear her this time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or she's very considerate so she wouldn't have done that but she has done that (laughs) yeah she has done it right so there's a conflict there and then also all of that being said with making strange decisions opening the restaurant for business again after only four days that would have been a big no-no at that time Mm. that would have been for a personal relationship we've kind of progressed or evolved or changed in the way we we sort of publicly look at grief but that would have been very very strange for that time and i mean understanding changing the name of the restaurant to shay roland okay i mean i i kind of get it but why if you want to make money why wouldn't you make it on the 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 sort of the visuals and the connection Mm -hmm. to someone that actually was a celebrity yeah so i I hesitated bringing this up, but there, and again, grain of salt, this is rumor mill here, but there is suspicion that Roland at least, because she wasn't found till Monday morning, right? We're talking 24 hours. If she got home Sunday morning and, you know, three, four o'clock, she wasn't found until Monday morning, a good 24 hours plus later by the maid. So there's, there were suspicions that Roland had gone looking for her, as you probably would, right? And found her in the garage, but then just kind of backtracked out of there. And a friend of his said that he basically confessed to this on his deathbed. So whether or not that was, you know, immense guilt and shame of like, oh shit, I locked her out and now she accidentally died, but then never told anyone about it and just let someone else find her, that's... I don't know if that feels kind of gross, too. It does feel gross, but it also, I, to me, it feels plausible. It, you yeah, know, like, no, oh, wow, I'm going to be the suspect here. And yeah. yeah, interesting. What do you think about the mob threats? Oh, I mean, the mob doesn't hide what they do. I just feel like. <laughs> yeah, they're they not. All. Yeah, like <laughs> this. Yeah, it just it doesn't hold a lot of weight to me. I just I really don't think there was like the inner woven relationships with the mob. Like people want to play up. So. Yeah, I, I 
doubt it. It's not like they, you know, if they were going to move in and take over and start gambling, that would be kind of obvious. And that didn't happen. Right. So I want to make a comment about the accidental death theory, which is important to remember is that, you know, when we drive our cars today, especially for most of our listeners that are like under maybe under the age of 50, you know, there are all these protections in modern cars that absolutely did not exist then. In fact, one of the reasons we have sort of the advanced plastic surgeries that we do emerged from two areas. One is soldiers coming back from war with horrifically disfiguring facial injuries and also all of the facial injuries that happened from automobile accidents mm. in the early decades because there everything was metal. Yeah. Everything is metal and wood. So the idea first you go, oh, she's got a broken nose and a split lip. You know, if she conks out and mm -hmm. her head slams into a metal steering wheel, it's absolutely possible yeah. that she could have bled and and then knocked herself out and then had the gas going that is not that is not out of the realm of possibility at all yeah not at all i mean i mean and being intoxicated falling asleep succumbing to the gas and then just boom hitting that steering wheel would absolutely just isolate the injury right there and also thank you for putting this in is that she had been a little bit concerned about having some sort of heart issue. So if she's fainting mm -hmm. with a heart issue, and we don't know exactly what that heart issue was, but fainting means that something is happening where you're not getting enough oxygen to your sure. brain. So did she have abnormally low blood pressure? If she has low blood pressure, and then she's got some alcohol in her system, and then she conks her head, and she's barely breathing and not efficiently breathing anyway, yeah. Seems like a, a recipe for disaster there. Yeah. So so let's look at kind of the aftermath and some other interesting twists that come up here. The coroner's office held an inquest in front of a jury, and several of Thelma's friends testified about being at the party with her on Saturday night. The hat check girl stated that Thelma had taken a secretive phone call in the women's restroom that night and seemed very preoccupied with making sure no one overheard her. And then Jewel, Roland's wife, testified that she had been sure that she had seen Thelma alive on Sunday, riding in a car down Sunset Boulevard next to a sleek, foreign-looking man. Oh, my God. It's always such code words. It wasn't a my husband. Foreign... It was the no, foreign man. <laughs> it was the foreign man. Oh, my gosh. So we can surmise Jewel's motives for misleading statements, perhaps, but... Another witness claimed to have been in contact with Thelma on Sunday. Remember, she was found dead on Monday morning. Mrs. Martha Ford and her husband, actor Wallace Ford, hosted a party on Sunday to which Thelma had been invited. Mrs. Ford said that she received a telephone call on Sunday and that she'd at first thought the caller was a woman named Velma, who was also a person she was expecting at the party. But then, not Velma from Chicago. Okay. <laughs> But then the caller said, no, this is Thelma and specifically used the nickname Hot Toddy. Get this. So Mrs. Ford said that Thelma asked her, hey, can I show up in the evening clothes that I'd worn the night before to the party at Cafe Trocadero? And Mrs. Ford told her, yeah, that's fine. And then Thelma said that she was bringing a surprise guest exclaiming, you just wait until I walk in, you'll fall dead. <laughs> So Mrs. Ford was absolutely convinced that she had spoken with Thelma 
and not an imposter on Sunday when we are presuming that Thelma is already dead. And what do you think of this? Yeah, that sounds very suspicious. That's a lot that just seems very suddenly everything up to this point seems sort of plausible and linear. And this suddenly gets very, very complex. And I wouldn't. I mean, if I was just going to make sort of a wild hypothesis, I would say that Jewel is now really worried that Roland is going to get implicated for this no matter what. And she's just going to like start spinning shit out of thin air. Yeah. So what about Mrs. Ford? What do we think about the phone call to her? Doesn't this feel theatrical? Like everyone's getting their day on the jury stand yeah, or the jury it box? It just does seem very strange. I mean, like, it's such weird but exacting detail, you know, which, yes, it is the possibility that that, that actually happened. But why a woman named Velma, yeah, yeah. who was also a person with respect to the party, but then she identifies her with Velma. It's just... Yeah, you know, you know me. Like, what no, the hell? Velma, that seems very strange. Velma. <laughs> But I mean, I guess so the idea could be that she got dressed up again in that same outfit to go to a party on Sunday. And that's when whatever happened, happened because she didn't show up to the party, obviously, because they would have had tons of witnesses to testify to that. So that she went into the apartment and then had the night and then got ready to go Mm. and was back. She was actually leaving, but she was going to drive herself this time. Was it Jewel that made the phone call because they had killed Elma? (laughs) And she said, Hey. Okay, I'm sorry. I I feel like a dumbass now because that's so, that to me is, yeah. Oh, okay. It it could be. It's, I know. A hundred years later. Here we are. We're starting our own rumor. Someone's going to do a podcast on and. Exactly. (laughs) Both Thelma's mother and her ex husband, Pat, were very vocal about the media and the city officials making more than they should out of this whole accidental death. And her mother, Alice, chalked up the investigation to cheap politicians trying to get jobs. And after all the evidence, the jury returned a decision that it was suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. And the coroner accepted that ruling. And to this date, suicide stands as the official cause for the death of Thelma Todd. And like we were saying, the structure of Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe still stands today on PCH. It's a beautiful building. I wish that there was some way to be able to use it. I would love to tour it. I'd love to get in there and, and see what it looks like. But I, I find, and with all due respect to you know how awful depression can be and how stressful life can be, the suicide thing just doesn't seem particularly plausible to me. And... It really is unsettling to me that it stands as suicide on the official record. I mean, maybe they were just like, there's too much craziness here. Like, it's probably not murder, but, yeah, you know, what we need to give the people something that's silly me, right? Like, let's just blame this on her that she did this as an intentional suicide. Right, right. But I, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, it sounds so plausible that she would just kind of crawl into the car, into the garage and um, try to keep warm. And maybe she's like, okay, I'm just going to keep the engine on for a minutes. One, not knowing it could take only that long as the criminalist um, showed through his test. Well, especially at but that then, time in history with combustion engines that are basically yeah. just spewing full 100% gas as opposed to something that's been filtered in today's technology. Yeah, but I have no doubt she just fell asleep. So really, if I had to pick one thing that is odd is I just keep going back to her normally having her limo driver walk her to her apartment because 
if I'll try to put in a link in the show notes, but if you guys bring up a picture of how this was structured back then, you have the restaurant and then you have like 200 steps up to this apartment. And there are conflicting reports. There's reports that that the apartment was literally the top level of the restaurant, but there are other structures like apartment structures where the car was parked and then the garage. But so, so he drops her off in front and now she takes, she's tired. She's been drinking. She walks 200 steps up. Was she just so exhausted by that time of like, okay, I'm not going to try to get Roland up. Or what? I'm just going to crawl in the car and go to sleep. Yeah. I don't know. It's just. No, I mean, I I think that, you know, again, let's talk about just on a base level about, you know, alcohol usage is that alcohol does impair your thinking and you can think, well, I'll deal with this in the morning. You know, I'm just going to like take a nap here and deal with Roland in the morning. He's probably I'll climb those 200 damn steps to the apartment and he won't even open the door. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've done a lot of weird drunk girl things and early morning hours, just getting through to the next day. Oh, yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we have. I've done many drunk girl things in my day. Well, that was, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I love that we, you know, talked about a starlet this time around, even though, you know, a shorter episode for you guys, but I hope you, you all enjoyed it. So as a couple of reminders, we mentioned this in our last episode, but we have our watch party coming up. That is going to be Friday. September 22nd, we are watching the disaster film Supercell, and we are co-hosting that with Nick from Tennis Pod and Brad from the Doomsday Podcast. You can find all of the information, all the instructions. This is open to everyone. This is not just Patreon on our live events page on our website. So that will be in the show notes. And then also we have this weekend coming up our live stream. Dr. Scott is going to be solo interviewing a friend of ours, and they are going to be talking about specifically workplace violence, threat assessment, and how they go about doing that. So other than that, I think that's it. We'll have a new forensic psychology episode for you guys next week. And until then, thanks guys. And we'll see you then on LA. Not so. Confidential. Thank you. Bye folks. sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network in partnership with Glassbox Media. Each episode is hosted, produced, and written by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our post-production editing and sweetening magic is handled by the multi-talented Jason Usri of Ear Cult Productions. The LA Not So Confidential theme entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir is composed and performed by the talented Kevin McLeod. He graciously allows us to use his music via a Creative Commons attribution license. And you can check out all of Kevin's amazing work on YouTube. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Media inquiries and bookings are scheduled at alienistentertainment at gmail.com. Please join us each month on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streaming and very interactive broadcast on YouTube entitled Behind the Couch. Stay tuned to all of our social media for our live streaming scheduling announcements. Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential so you never miss a new episode. 
And lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast. With a subscription, you get an ad-free listening experience and you'll be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening and join in with us next time on LA Not So Confidential. Bye, folks.